Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks. So before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we'd first like to implore you to please take a moment to subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. And also to please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Over the last six months or so, I have very closely teetered towards massively scaling back the show or folding it entirely into becoming more of a once a month sort of venture or a whenever we all have time sort of venture due simply to my personal career obligations and me needing to focus more of my time and energy towards my outside writing ventures because for the most part this is a one-man show tommy and alan come on to co-host but i do all the marketing i do all the editing i do all the planning etc etc but yeah despite heavily thinking about scaling the show back out of my love for content creation and out of all of our love-hate relationship with the lakers this season We have somehow managed to push through and continue producing this show at a weekly episode's pace, sometimes two episodes a week. But at the end of the day, we run on your guys' feedback and support. So if you guys would be so kind as to please, if it's within your means, to please throw us a five-star tap on the Apple Podcast app. That'll go a long way in sustaining this show and ensuring its consistency to keep your ears litty and light, whatever the hell that means. Anyways, thanks for your support, and now, on with the showtime. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where in spite of how overcast and cloudy this season has been, last night, Lakers Nation finally saw some sunlight this week and a glimmer of hope, because with Anthony Davis's return, we also got some much-needed vitamin A.D., <laughs> I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. Alan, the Lakers beat the Brooklyn Nets 106-96, to granted without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they did get Anthony Davis back. Geriatric Ariza played zero minutes. The Lakers are 20, the Lakers are 24-24 and in eighth place. LeBron looked rejuvenated and skippy to have AD back. Uh, Stanley Johnson not only started, but today we found out that he got a new two-year deal with the Lakers that takes him to the end of this season, with the Lakers holding a team option for him next season this summer. So they need to make that decision in July. Needless to say, happy days are here at last, maybe? Or or maybe we're rounding the curve, uh, rounding the corner into some happy days? Alan, your thoughts on... AD's return and seeing him nab that first lob out of the air from Braun and hammer it down and then immediately follow that up with a smooth face of Jay. 
Yeah, no, that was a hell of a start. I like the fact that, uh, you know, they designed some things for him right out the get-go. Uh, just get him comfortable, you know, get his feet wet and all that kind of stuff, getting some kind of rhythm. So, um, yeah, man, it was just, it was really great, obviously, to see. And I felt like the entire team uh, had a, you know, totally renewed sense of energy, of course, uh, as you would expect. But it was like, there's a lot of joy, you know, you could just see um, a lot more smiles and, you know, things like that. So it was awesome. It's like they got their mojo back, right? Do you know you know what LeBron James reminded me of last night in terms of how kind of like re-energized he looked and played? It reminded me of when the Lakers first traded for Pau Gasol and Pau Gasol's like debut game. Ironically, it was also against the Nets, but they were the New Jersey Nets back then. But if you remember Kobe's post-game interview after that game, he like butt into Pau Gasol's post-game interview and just like, was effusive about his praise, and you can just see the life in him. And also the way that Kobe played that game, it was free-flowing. He didn't have a care in the world. LeBron James last night, it was like, 80s back, a weight is lifted off my shoulders, especially defensively. Now I can focus on being the best small ball five I can be out here in the units where AD is not on the court. And you just saw LeBron be zippy on both ends, those back-to-back steals into the coast-to-coast dunks, like... His energy was kind of infectious. He felt like a little kid. So just your thoughts on on that effect that it had on LeBron James. Oh, for sure. There is definitely like an extra pep in his step. Um, and, you know, we can talk about like specifically what that means, like, you know, him rotating on defense and just really getting after it uh, mm-hmm. with just high energy, you know, effort and hustle and a sense of urgency and, you know, all, all those sorts of like buzzwords, but like you could see it and you could see, like you said, it was infectious. It wasn't just him. Um, it helped that maybe certain players weren't out there playing, you know, who aren't <laughs> capable true. of getting around the court like that. But um, yeah, it was like the, one of the more well put together, you know, games just in terms of effort that we've seen mm-hmm. this season, um, you know, forget about, who wasn't playing, you know, for Brooklyn and things like that, because we've seen the Lakers play like trash against a bunch of teams that have nobody anyway. Right. Uh, This is a well-coached team, of course. And um, yeah, man, it was uh, like you said, hopefully sign of things to come, turn that corner, turn that curve, turn that circle, turn that (laughs) rhombus, (laughs) flip under the, uh, the octagon, (laughs) How the turntables, as uh, Michael Scott would say on The Office. Uh, Alan, how did uh, Anthony Davis specifically look to you physically? Obviously, there's going to be some ramp-up time. There's going to be him adjusting to, you know, the 90 feet of the court, going up and down, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, outside of, you know, the, the alley-oop dunk and all that stuff, like, most impressive thing for me was him buying into the system and him getting four blocks right off the bat and him getting, I think he had, like, one or two steals as well. And I think the biggest thing that I got out of AD's return that has nothing to do with statistics is just he reminded me of how much his mere presence just affects the game. And I don't know if it's just me, but didn't it feel like the Nets were missing a lot of easy, chippy layups or lay-ins that normally, like, against... When AD's not there, it seems like teams get hot against us in terms of their layup packages and finishing and all that stuff. But last night, it seemed like, oh, they're waltzing into the lane. And even though no one's there to impede them, for some reason, they just miss their layups, you know? And I think it's just that, you know, effect that Anthony Davis has where even if he's not getting the block shot, he's altering shots, he's affecting shots. And even just from like a psychological standpoint, the fact that he's on the court 
there with the rest of the team, even if he's not even the guy guarding the possession, there is this lingering thought in the back of all of the Nets players' heads that, what if Anthony Davis comes out of nowhere for this, you know? And I, I sort of felt that. So what, what did you see having seeing Anthony Davis back? I know post-game he said, yeah, I don't need this minutes restriction. He only had 25 minutes, but I liked what I saw. I mean, he's not going like full bore yet, you know, coast to coast, but just the fact that defensively, you're seeing the flashes of what he can do for this team. And again, not even, not even from a blocking, stealing, statistical standpoint, just what that does and the looming gravity that he has defensively. Oh, of course. Yeah, especially when without AD, who do you have playing the bulk of the minutes at the center position? Recently, it's been LeBron, right? And as great as LeBron is, as much of a Swiss Army knife as he is, he just doesn't have the same length that Anthony Davis has, right? So guys can, you know, more freely drive it into the paint and they don't have that kind of thing lurking in the back of their mind of, oh crap, like, is he going to recover and block my shot? Um, whereas with AD, you extend a few more inches and now that is going to creep in there for sure. And um, I mean, we did see him, you know, recover, uh, make yep. that second effort to block those shots. We saw him defend out on the perimeter as well and obviously uh, have a large effect on their shooting from the outside on, you know, pick and rolls and things like that. So um, there's no doubt that other teams now have to game plan, of course, for this different, uh, you know, aspect of our defense that we've been sorely, sorely missing. Yeah, and then offensively, I don't know about you, but I felt like we got less of the Carmelo Anthony Anthony Davis in terms of him like facing up and just holding the ball for, you know, 10 seconds and he was more like I mentioned, down with the program offensively. And he mentioned it post-game too. He's like, yo, I just want to set some high screens, slip that screen, roll, pass out of that screen. It seemed like he was part of the, you know, dynamic zippy motion that we've sort of been trying to kind of embrace it with the microball units, even in his absence. And I think it almost like he fit in seamlessly. I think uh, the best version of Anthony Davis is him in movement, right? And I felt like he bought into that even offensively where he's not, again, it's not like ball stopping. He had that one possession where he faced up and hit the jump shot. I'm sure that was him just cleaning out the cobwebs, right? But outside of that possession, it seemed like he was active on offense too and moving. And I think that was like a very encouraging sign to see from him. Um because there have been instances pre- prior to when we got this practice without him playing LeBron at the five where we'd play 80 at the five, but we wouldn't be as dynamic, you know? It would just be kind of like, okay, 80's at the five, but let's dump it down to him in the post and let's see what he does, right? But this one is like, there's much more intention and there's like multiple screens happening, multiple guys moving off ball. So just your quick thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's something to be said about him sitting for so long and just being able to observe, Mm -hmm. right? And in those team meetings, kind of designing and scheming for what things could look like um, once he's inserted into the lineup again. So there's a lot less, let's figure this out on the fly. Uh, When you've missed 17 games or whatever it is, there's no way you, you know, you're, of course, you're gonna be thinking, how can we like throw you back in here in different types of ways? So I think maybe we saw that last night. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Let's get into some team stats. Um, So the Lakers held the Nets to 42% shooting. The Nets actually had more points than us in the paint, 52 to 46, but I think that's because they out-rebounded us a lot as well. That's another issue that we still have to work on, even with AD coming back. And also, a large part of that is due to AD only playing 25 minutes, right? Um, But here's where we did excel at, with AD back and us fully embracing the micro ball. 
27 to 9 fast break points for the Lakers. We outscored the Nets. 12 steals to the Nets, 5 steals. And you could sense that frenetic defense from Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves, the switching, obviously from LeBron James setting the tone. Uh, it was frenetic out there. Avery Bradley. Show Avery Bradley Avery some Bradley love. Here and there, he was defending but... James Harden out there on the perimeter with the quick yeah, hands, no, you he know? Was, he was definitely harassing James Harden. But, Alan, I'm telling you, we could have gotten those same steals and that lob to LeBron James from Avery Bradley in eight fewer minutes. We, we could have seen it in 15 <laughs> minutes. We didn't have to see it in 24 minutes, right? Uh, because through three quarters, he was the third highest played Laker. And I was like, come on, dude. Are you not seeing what Austin Reeves is doing out there? So, Alan, I mean... And this is going to lead into uh, how we close this episode uh, and some trade targets that I have in mind to help out with still playing small ball but being able to rebound. But the Lakers did get out-rebounded 33-54 to and 5-18 to on the offensive glass with Austin Reeves having four of those <laughs> offensive rebounds. But You mean Peter Parker? Peter Parker, exactly. <laughs> but that being said, you still see the vision of what this team can become, especially if we can just clean up the boards, right, and box people out. Um, Mello and Monk don't really help out in those aspects, but they're still giving the defensive effort. So let's talk about your thoughts on, and you can incorporate Austin Reeves and Stanley Johnson as big parts of this, and them really honing in on the defensive end, rotating, sacrificing their body, and really allowing us to kind of, and LeBron James was an embodiment of this, allowing us to fly around everywhere, both on the defensive end, but also the offensive end. And, you know, Austin Reeves, a career-high six assists last night, but six assists and zero turnovers, Alan. That is so impressive for a rookie. And, you know, by this point, everybody has been watching over and over again that clip of LeBron James talking to Austin Reeves and Austin Reeves' eyes going bug-eyed and confused. But I'm pretty sure LeBron was telling him, yo, dude, I got six assists and zero turnovers. You got six assists and zero turnovers. Combined, we're 12 assists and zero turnovers. So, I mean, just... <laughs> That's definitely the conversation, no doubt. We know LeBron likes to look at the stat sheet in the middle of the game. So, he you does, know. <laughs> he does. And then, you know, Austin Reeves curving the bullet, that pass to uh, Malik Monk on the baseline for the three. Like, my God, dude. Like, this guy, every game now, he continues to come up with two or three impressive plays that are not just like him finishing a crazy wild layup, but now him just like impressing us with his handles or his passing, his vision. And then outside of that, just the standard, like I'm going to take two or three charges, like offensive fouls on the other team, make it go the other way. And yeah. So your thoughts on Austin Reeves and then talk about Stanley Johnson, the much deserved, you know, two year deal that he's gotten and how they're both helping this micro ball thing hum and we're seeing it exemplified now with uh, AD back. For sure. Yeah. I mean, Austin Reeves just impacts the game on so many different levels. And had you asked me when the game was over, how many points do you think he had? I would have been like, I don't know, like eight, 10, something like that. You know, he's, he had two points. Um, but it was because of all those assists is because he didn't have any turnovers. Like he helped create so much offense for us. Um, his decision-making is just so sound. And it's like, for him, it's like the game is kind of moving in slow motion. I feel like, um, he's not, he never panics. Right. And, um, at worst, like maybe he'll have an off target pass or something, but it was still like the right pass. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you can always count on him to, do the right things, you know, not force things at all. And um, just goes to his understanding, right, of the game. And, like, the fact that he's developed that type of chemistry, too, uh, with 
we, you know, like some of our best lineups, obviously, and he's a huge part of that. Um, so would be awesome to see him getting 24 minutes per game, 25, 26, 30, 28, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Hey, Alan, here's the thing. He closed the game last night over Avery Belly. So there's some progress there, but yeah. That's um, good point. Why don't you talk about Stanley Johnson? Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Super grateful that Stanley Johnson's going to be around. Not surprised at all. Um, totally expected him, you know, to, to be with us for the rest of this season. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he's a guy, obviously, that can help us with the micro ball like you're talking about. We know that um, defensively we love switching, right? We love to trap on the perimeter. And if you have guys that are mobile who are, you know, light on their feet, they've got that quickness, then great. You got that versatility now. Um, unfortunately, like Dwight's just kind of not the guy who could do that anymore. You know, we, we've seen him, I think, lose a decent amount of foot speed and it is what it is. Um, Trevor Reza, we thought, you know, could be that dude, like for sure, man, it looks like he's got like lead in his sneakers right now. It's, it sucks to see, you know, and you wonder how much of that was the injury and just rehabbing. And like, when you get older, it takes you a longer time to recover. And I don't think we watched enough tape of him, you know, last season to see what he looked like. But, uh, as of right now, it is what it is. And, um, to have a guy like Stanley Johnson who can play that wing, who can play, um, you know, an undersized four, which kind of doesn't mean anything anymore anyway, is, is awesome. And his offense is like coming along. That's like the cherry on top that we weren't even thinking about, but he can knock down that corner three, which it's like, we love Trevor Riza, you know? So like, we're not saying this stuff to like keep on him, but like he's, his shot is not working right now yeah. um and stanley johnson can knock it knock it down and he gets out in transition he's making these off balance layups and getting and ones and stuff like that so i mean the guy is like and i hate to like i think you, you brought him up a couple podcasts ago like we had the earl clark revelation <laughs> like so many years ago <laughs> yeah and we were yeah. like oh my god this guy like fills so many needs like this is so clutch um it just evokes the same feelings i'm not saying that they're like the same player but uh, yeah, good on us for, for recognizing that. And uh, he's going to be a significant contributor down the stretch for sure. Yeah, and Stanley Johnson is, I think, 7 of 15 from 3 in his last, like, five or six games or so. So he's definitely showing improvement there. And the biggest thing with Stanley Johnson too, Alan, is he's so strong that he's giving you body blows. He's, he gave James Harden a bunch of body blows. You give those to the, to an opponent a, a few times and they're just shook off their game, you know, like even with as crafty as a player as James Harden is. So, and that's also how he gets off those wild layups in transition. He's just strong. He's going to bump you off your, your position, you know? You said it before, it's like meta world peace in some ways. Exactly. But, but again, a little bit more controlled. You oh, know? totally. Oh, absolutely. With Meta, it was always an adventure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, last question, Alan, before we take it to break and talk about some trade candidates, some lower end trade candidates that I feel like could even help what we're doing right now, especially with AD back, but help us on the boards is, so Malik Monk got back into the groove last night. He hit six threes. He looked dynamic. And the one thing that I want to pay attention to over the next few weeks is everybody's been talking about, oh, AD's back, so we finally get to see Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. I'm kind of more looking at what do Monk, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James look like? Granted, Westbrook was finishing really well last night. He was forcing the issue, ramming the ball down the Nets' throats. He still did have five turnovers, but I guess we'll take the more aggressive version of Westbrook, especially with AD back, right? But he still also had those possessions where he'll miss a layup, flail to the ground, and never run back on D. And then... In the fourth quarter, 
you saw how the Nets were guarding him, a.k.a. totally ignoring him. With the ball, without the ball, there was just an island's gap between Westbrook and the next defender as they were packing the paint. Meanwhile, you see Monk knocking down all these threes all over the court and also playing the two-man game with LeBron. We didn't really see him play a two-man game with uh, Anthony Davis, but having seen what we've seen between his chemistry with LeBron, you can kind of just extrapolate that out to Anthony Davis pretty easily. And what and Monk has really been finding himself as a good playmaker uh, in this stretch here. I'm not trying to be hot take your controversial, Alan, but if we put politics to the side the way Frank did against the Pacers last week by benching Westbrook at the end, do you think Monk would be a better closing guard in late game situations than Westbrook? Uh, I think a lot of times he would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so much of it, I suppose, would depend, of course, on how's Westbrook playing, right? Like, it's not like every single game he's played this season has been awful. He had some really good games, really effective ones, under control, things like that. So, uh, you know, if Russ is having the type of night where he's got 18 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, you know, that type of night... And yeah, maybe he has a highish turnover, um, you know, number as well. But if they're like not stupid turnovers, for lack of a better word, then okay, yeah, Russ is going to be in there. Um, but when he's having those nights where it's just not clicking for whatever reasons, then you go with the, you go with who's going best. So uh, yeah, I, I would, I could totally see it happening. I would like to see it happen. I don't know if I could totally see it happening, but I, yeah. Politics aside, though, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. And I think just objectively speaking, you just want a floor spacer out there. And when the game slows down in the fourth quarter, like the need for Russell Westbrook's like Tasmanian devilish sort of play, you you need to rein that in anyways. And so why not get a guy in Malik Monk who who's okay with not having the ball or can have the ball, but you know he'll just at the end of the day, baseline level, he'll provide you with the spacing that you need for LeBron James and AD to run their, you know, pick and roll and then pick your poison with Malik Monk on the baseline, you know, that they can pitch it out to. Malik Monk can shoot the three, the defense will close, which they won't do against Russell Westbrook. And then Malik Monk has you with the finish in the paint, you know, because Malik Monk is is good at attacking closeouts. So, I mean, we saw a little bit of it with AD, LeBron, Stanley, Reeves, and Westbrook, I think, were the closing. I, I forget if Stanley was there, but just envisioning AD, LeBron, Stanley, say, we're getting Monk, closer. and Reeves, I know. <laughs> You're it's saying just, all those uh, names, and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Telling <laughs> you, if we just do that, we're making it back to the finals. I know, but anyways, man, can you imagine? You know what? We're so lit. But politics do exist, optics do exist, and we're going to have to work with what we got. And at the very least, as AD does with every player, Westbrook, is slowly going to look better and better, and we'll we'll find a way to make that fit and work. But hopefully, uh, Frank is a little bit more malleable in closing game situations, and given the experience that we've had with the Pacers game and how Westbrook responded to that, first not well, but then well after that, um, hopefully that experience can kind of inform future experiences where Vogel does have to bench him in the closing lineup and he doesn't take it too personally. We'll see. Uh, With that said, we'll take it to break. When we return, we'll close this episode out with some tweener bigs, some some people who can help us out with some rebounding, but also keep our microball identity that maybe the Lakers can try to target at the trade deadline. All right, so we're back. And, you know, Alan, with AD back, I want to talk about flanking him with some young, fresh legs. Um, 
but young fresh legs who are at least six foot eight, six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine. I'm really talking about tweener bigs. If they can space the floor, that's great. But really, at the end of the day, we want them to be able to move their feet, but also rebound. So what I'm talking about is Markeith Morris type. We have not replaced that type on this team. Kyle Kuzma type. We have not replaced a Kyle Kuzma guy. Obviously, you're not going to get the same caliber of players, um, but I think there are some options to be had in the trade market uh, using some second-round picks that the Lakers could avail of. And again, I'm working with two second-round picks because that is the offer that the Lakers supposedly gave to the Atlanta Hawks to try and get Cam Reddish. Now, obviously, they didn't get Cam Reddish, but I think there were that was a conversation starter. And at the very least, the Lakers can get maybe older play, older players who are under 30 that who are on teams that are not necessarily using them right now for who would likely want two seconds because they're not using them. Right. Um, so before we get into some names, Alan, I have two deals, I think where the Lakers can outside of the second round picks that they do have two deals with players that the Lakers have on the roster that they could flip for, additional second rounders to use. So one of those deals would be, my proposed deal would be Kent Bazemore to the Chicago Bulls for a future second. Why does this work for the Bulls? Well, the Bulls have lost Patrick Williams. They've lost Alex Caruso for the next six to eight weeks. They've lost Derek. I know. They've lost Derek Jones for the next six to eight weeks. They lost Lonzo Ball for the next six to eight weeks. They are currently starved for any wing help. Any perimeter defense they can get. Look, Bazemore's 31. He is not washed. The only reason why he's not playing on this team is because of a terrible offensive stretch he had at the beginning of the season and Frank Vogel totally going over to the Avery Bradley love fest side, right? So I think Bazemore could help the Bulls and garner us a future second that we can flip. Next trade. Wayne Ellington to the Dallas Mavericks for a future second. Unfortunately, last night, the Dallas Mavericks lost Tim Hardaway Jr. to a season-ending injury. That sucks. They need to replace that shooting off the bench somehow. Enter Wayne Ellington, and Wayne Ellington actually played for the Dallas Mavericks in like the 2013-14 season or whatever. I think as a competitive team, he could be of use to them and they would want him. So what are your quick thoughts on just trading those two guys who aren't currently in our rotation for two seconds that maybe we keep down the line or even flip for some of the names I'm about to mention? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I got nothing against that. I don't I don't see us playing either one of them, you know, any uh, consistent or meaningful minutes unless, you know, knock on wood, something happened, you know, to one of our current rotation players. Um, yeah, if we could flip that into some second round picks and then use those, that'd be great. Yeah, so let me let me throw some names at you, Alan. I'll throw them out rapid fire, and you tell me which ones interest you and maybe how you would rank them. Most of these guys, I feel like you might be able to get for two second rounders. You may have to include none for salary matching purposes. Only one of these includes uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. And Alan, I didn't add him to the list that I sent you prior. So it's going to be a little bit of a surprise for you. But first, I'm, I'm thinking about Biggs, Alan, again, who kind of like, what's the Alex Caruso version? The 6'8 version of an Alex Caruso, who is an in-between sort of guy who can give you, hu- who can give you energy, who can hustle on defense, but also be- uh, like kind of muck it up in the paint a little bit and grab some boards. So first up, former Laker Mo Wagner. He's 24 years old, six foot 11, seven foot wingspan. He's making 1.7 million this year, non-guaranteed 1.8 million next year. He's only averaging 7.7 points, 2.4 rebounds on 50% from the field, 35% from three, knocking down one a game in just 12 minutes. He recently had games of 23 points of nine of 13 shooting, 
14 points, 16 points, 26 points on, on 11 of 17 shooting, plus 4 of 8 from 3. The biggest thing I remember about Mo is his fiery nature, his competitive spirit, desire to muck it up and throw his body around, right? Um, if Franz Wagner, his brother, wasn't on the Orlando Magic, I'd be more like, yeah, we can probably get him. But because Franz is on the Magic, it's probably not possible, but let's say the Magic are open to entertaining it, right? Outside of Mo Wagner, then we get to former Laker Thomas Bryant. <laughs> so Thomas Bryant is making $8.6 million this year. You'll likely need to add none. So maybe that doesn't make it worth it for you. But I'm just throwing his name out there as like a template of player, right? 24 years old, 6 foot 10, 7 foot 6 wingspan. Why we cut this guy makes no sense to me, but whatever. Um, he had a partially torn ACL last January. Last January, he returned in the new year. In six games and 14 minutes, he's averaging 7.2 points, 3.2 rebounds, 46% from the field, only 29% from three. Um, His best games include 11 points, four rebounds, two threes, two steals, one block, and then a 15 points, five rebounds, one block, one three game. So there's Thomas Bryant. Next, we have Willie Hernan Gomez, 27 years old, 6'11", 7'1", wingspan. I think he had like a 26-point game, 29-point game last night filling in for Jonas Valanciunas. So, but prior to that game, he was out of the rotation. Regardless, he's making $2.3 million this year, uh, signed on for 2022 and 2023 with a club option his last year, each at about $2.4 million. He's averaging 7.7 points and 6.7 rebounds in just 14 minutes which per 36 wise is 18 points and 16 rebounds. Now, he's more of a tradition <laughs> he's more of a traditional big Allen, but in terms of like does it hurt to have a Zubats like player at this point if Dwight's not even going to play just situationally? I don't think so. Um next player, Jalen McDaniels. This is kind of a more shoot for the stars raw prospect, 23 years old, but 6 foot 9, 7 foot wingspan out of San Diego State, 1.7 million dollars this year, 1.9 million dollars next year with a club option. To me, he's kind of like pre-Lakers Orlando Trevor Ariza days. He's very raw and kind of slight in frame. He is the brother of Jaden McDaniels on the Minnesota Timberwolves. But for me, it's like maybe you can bring him in and kind of see him as athletic clay, use his length, maybe train him up to be a switchy, you know, wing slash power forward. And I just like the length, right? Lastly, there's PJ Washington, Kentucky dude on the Charlotte Hornets. Um, to me, he's like the true Markeith Morris type. So out of those rotation of guys, like who interests you? And I guess, how would you rank them? And then also in addition to that, like, do you see my line of thinking of like, yo, let's get a big who can rebound, but not totally mess up what we want to do microball wise. Yeah. Uh, I definitely see the template of player uh, that you're looking for. And I mean, the offensive numbers, Cool. Like, you hear all, you know, what they're shooting from the field and from the three-point line, things like that. Uh, I just can't help but light hone in, of course, on defense. And um, look at the influence Frank Vogel has had on us and how we view basketball, right? Like, you know he's only going to play guys who he trusts. Well, sort of, only guys who he trusts. Um, but if it were someone like this, um, he, he's looking for someone who has, like we already talked about, that switchability, who can get out on the perimeter, um, and then still recover back into the paint. Um, so in terms of the players that you mentioned, like, I guess Mo could do that. Like you said, mm-hmm. he's got the mo- motor, right? The motor. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, Thomas Bryant. I mean, he's got a motor too, but like lateral quickness wise, like he's a lot bigger, right? He's just a yeah. bigger dude. 
Um, torn ACL, you're not sure exactly. How he's like just from coming that, off yeah. of exactly. So I don't know. Like as much as we like him and wish he'd never left. Uh, not sure what he's at. Where he's at right now. Uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, I mean, gets a lot of rebounds, right, in, in limited time. So rebounding is something that we are severely lacking. Um, oh, you said the McDaniels, the Charlotte McDaniels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in terms of, like, raw prospect, like, he has a lot of the tools, you know, and things like that. Um, he's seen – I don't know if he, his game is more, like, offensive-minded at this point as opposed to, you know, having that defensive mindset. So – could take some time to integrate that type of player. It's more of a project, I think. Uh, you said PJ Washington as well. PJ right? Washington, yeah. Not as familiar with his game as the, you know the other former Lakers on sure. the list. And sure. Yeah, yeah, younger dude. So I think you need Kendrick Nunn to get PJ Washington because he was technically a former Lotto pick. But to me, yeah, right. he he envisions out as a mo- true Markeith Morris type. So for me, I'd rank him number one because he's more pie in the sky. Mo Wagner, number two. Willie Hernan Gobez, number three, as the perfect Zubach-like redemption story. Four, Jalen McDaniels. And then five, Thomas Bryant, just because of the injury concerns and not a great defender in spite of his measurables. And then you round that all out, Alan, by trying to get Torrey Craig at all costs because while he doesn't necessarily fit the tweener big category, in Sabonis and Turner's absence, the Pacers have actually been playing him at power forward, and he's been posting up some very poor man's like Draymond Green type stats. He can shoot a little bit, he can rebound, steal, block, but most of all, he's just a good positional defender. So really quickly to close this out, talk about Torrey Craig. Yes, Torrey Craig is number one, no doubt. Um, I think, you know, he's been on like winning teams too. So yeah. it's not Phoenix, like he's been Denver, on bottom yeah. feeders, you know, just getting like good numbers and trash minutes, right? Um, he's got a big body. He's strong. He can muck it up, like you said. Uh, he is like a, a Stanley Johnson, but much more polished, you know, and experienced and things like yeah. that. But in terms of what we've seen from Stanley Johnson, like, oh my God, look at this dude, like, defend the perimeter so well. That's what Tory Craig could do um dude if we got him oh my gosh i'd be head he, over heels because he's he's six seven right with like a seven foot wingspan and he is like bulky and sturdy too so it's like getting 48 minutes of that raw energy and force and physicality at the power forward or small ball center spot so please lakers do whatever you can to get tory craig but uh alan i will tease this for you at a future episode but the one surprise mystery name that i had to throw in here and this is super galaxy brain pie in the sky was uh rui hachimura uh, because the Wizards, oh yeah, there you go. And you know, the Japanese-American contingent in, in Los Angeles would absolutely love Let's that. Go. I think the Japanese contingent in Japan would love that because there's probably a bunch <laughs> of Lakers fans there. But honestly, you know, you'd have to give up THT, Allen. but Rui, he has the measurables that it's physical clay that the Lakers can mold. You put him in Phil Handy's hands and it's like, he may not be a defender right now. And in fact, he's kind of more like a Carlos Boozer type player, obviously a more athletic version of Carlos Boozer. But it's like, what is his defensive potential? Can you tap into something there? Because he does have a six foot eight, seven foot two wingspan frame. It's just all about like molding him into a defender. And under Frank Vogel and Phil Handy, who knows? And the only reason why I bring up him and the Wizards is because the Wizards have a glut at power forward and center because they have Gafford, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma has been killing it for them. They've got Bertans. Um, I forget who else they have, but they've got a, a glut there, Thomas Bryant. And Rui Hachimura has been out for personal reasons this entire year. And he's only gotten like 13 minutes and is barely in the rotation. So he's extension eligible in the offseason. If they're not planning to extend him, 
or they don't want to pay him that much money, why not take a gamble at THT? And we'll take a gamble on Rui Hachimura and see how he fits with Anthony Davis, and maybe he's our new small ball five. So 20 seconds on Rui. Uh, man, I don't need 20 seconds. I need a minute. Uh, yeah, absolutely, dude. I freaking love Rui Hachimura. And, like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to, like, ignore the fact that... <laughs> Ikimashou, let's go. <laughs> yeah, Ikimashou for sure. Dude, I mean, he has an offensive package for sure. Um, He's very, very skilled. He went to Gonzaga, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. one of those types of players. Got the IQ, no doubt. Um really good size uh like you said in terms of defense he has the tools for sure um it's kind of like kuzma was not necessarily a defensive player right to start developed into one it was like yo this guy could defend this person could rebound uh he's one of our better players at doing that so um there's absolutely the potential there for him if he has the right support you know resources and coaches and things like that come on let's make it happen let's make it happen sugoi Sugoi, indeed. Uh, but again, we're not sure if the Wizards would do it. I'm not saying they're going to do it. I'm not saying it's realistic. This is my galaxy brain, pie in the sky thing. Again, if you're not going to pay the dude, and he's had personal reasons, maybe because he was in Japan. LA's closer to Japan than DC, I think. <laughs> don't quote me on that. I don't know my geography very well. But, you know, him being in LA, there's a lot of Japanese Americans here. Alan is one of them. I mean, let's yeah, make man, it Yeah, man, I'll happen. show him around little Tokyo. Let's do it. Exactly. Obviously, we'll miss THT, but the Wizards get another prospect. And honestly, the Wizards owe us for taking Westbrook off their hands. So this can be a little bit of a, a makeup. <laughs> All right, with that said, we'll catch you guys next time. AD's back. Stanley Johnson signed. Good days are here at last. Liddy days. So, Alan, I'll catch you later. All right, dude. Later. See ya. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.